<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. Because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Picture. Oh, Picnic. God, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen and either delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week we are talking about one of the most hotly anticipated films of the year. In fact, this was on our most anticipated list of both 2020 and 2021. (laughs) I could only be talking about one film, dear listeners. Yes, it's Dune, (laughs) directed by our director of the decade, Denis Villeneuve, based on the classic 1965 sci-fi novel of the same name by Frank Herbert. Dune is set in the distant future, the year 10,191 to be precise. And in this future, humans have gone interstellar, and the worlds of the universe are ruled by various aristocratic families under the supreme rule of the emperor. One of these noble houses is the Atreides family, whom the Emperor has grown fearful, could grow to become rivals. So he tasks the Atreides family with stewardship over the desert planet Arrakis. Arrakis is not a hospitable place. Its lands are arid and dry, just endless dunes of sand. And it has an indigenous population, the Fremen, who are understandably not the biggest fans of their colonizer offworlders. However, Arrakis is the universe's only source of one particular spice one that is essential for space travel and that possesses all kinds of other desirable and unique qualities. That makes Arrakis the most valuable planet in the cosmos. You may think, wow, what a great honor for the Atreides family. But you'd be quite wrong indeed. (laughs) You see, a different family, House Harkonnen, had been ruling Arrakis for 80 years, growing impossibly powerful and wealthy from its spice harvesting. And so by transferring control of Arrakis from the Harkonnens to the Atreides family, The Emperor is essentially setting up a war between the two houses, one that will only result in the fall of Atreides. Now Paul, the only son of House Atreides, must navigate this dangerous world of Arrakis, a world to which he seems to have a mysterious connection, and where his destiny shall be made manifest. Dune stars TMTM favorite Timothy Chalamet (laughs) as Paul Atreides, alongside a massive supporting cast including Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa, Zendaya... Josh Brolin, Charlotte Rampling, Dave Bautista, Stellan Skarsgård, and Javier Bardem. Sci-fi fans have been begging for a big screen adaptation of this film that does justice to the source material for decades, and we've been dying to see it in cinema since it was first announced a few years back. Dune asks the question, was it worth the wait? Hmm. First impression, Helen. Okay, well, I just saw this film today, this mm-hmm. afternoon, wow. fresh on my mind. So the first thing that we see when Dune starts is this text that comes across the screen that says, dreams are messages from the deep. I believe what it says was... (laughs) Okay, yes. (laughs) And last night, I had a dream that I popped a pimple on my face and an HDMI cord came out of it. (laughs) 
So I don't know what message from the deep that is. Sinclair yeah. interprets. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you were nervous about some technical elements of our podcast today. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. I've I have been having some technological difficulties in my life. Yeah. Um, were you just up really late watching Instagram accounts of pimple popping? I wasn't, but that would not be odd for me. I do find a great satisfaction in pimple popping. Anyway, that was my very first thought. And then as this, as the film began, I just thought, you know, we've got Timmy. We've got Denis Villeneuve. I'm so excited for this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinclair? Yes. I mean, I've been waiting so long for this. Mm-hmm. As soon as the theater went dark, I got goosebumps yeah. right away. And yeah, when that messaging came up across the, st- the screen, dreams are messages from the deep, and you hear that deep booming mm. sound that had almost like a didgeridoo effect Ooh, on it. Yeah. I had an instant movie boner. I haven't <laughs> been able to get rid of it since. I was living for this movie I as soon as it started. <laughs> yeah, it it just sweeps you up into this world, and I was instantly shooketh to my core. Mm. I don't even know if I'm alive right now, honestly. <laughs> I may have died in my seat. I, I I don't know. I might be dead still. We're being from, visited from by the ghost of Miss Sinclair. Yeah, yeah, appropriate for mm-hmm. looks yeah. strangely similar to Sinclair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me. So first of all, my first impression was, okay, so every single seat in this IMAX theater is full. Oh, really? Every single one. Wow. Yeah. And so that was definitely my first of that. Yeah. Of like, okay, there's someone in every single seat. And I went by myself to this. So I was completely surrounded by strangers. So I was a little unnerved by that. But then I just thought, fuck it, whatever. But yeah, so we've got that, you know, this opening Zendaya, the voiceover of her Mm. talking about how gorgeous Arrakis is with the wind blowing over the sand and the Mm. spice in the air. And we're brought into the visuals of this world and they are breathtaking. The dunes are gorgeous. The spaceships are just colossal. Mm. The costuming of the Harkonnen's army right off the bat is so detailed. And through this voiceover, we're really getting the kind of information that we need to understand the setting, right? And the conflict mm. of this world. So I am hooked right off the bat. I knew I would be. So yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait mm-hmm. to see what's next. Okay. Well, should we start with storytelling? Mm-hmm. So I know that you have been currently reading the novel Sinclair. Yes. Um, I was very dedicated to this movie. Did you finish the novel? So I'm reading it along with the movie. Oh, so okay. Oh, nice. This was part one right and dune at least the copy of the book i have has three books in one book okay so i read the first book in the three books of the one book if that makes sense (laughs) this slightly went a little bit past where i had stopped reading but okay pretty much this film was was what i had read up until this point Nice. Yeah, so I mean, this is based off a very famous sci-fi book by Frank Herbert that was written in 1965, and it was made into a movie by David Lynch in 1984 that was considered pretty unsuccessful in a lot of ways. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, same. I haven't. Even though it is visionary in its its own right, it still wasn't that successful, and I remember watching this version of the movie and not having any idea what was going on and not feeling compelled to read Dune Mm. in any way. Yeah. Even though I did appreciate it for, you know, what it was, it just, it, 
I had a really hard time getting through with it and even knowing what was going on. I feel like David Lynch is difficult. Like, he's a pretty opaque storyteller at the Mm -hmm. best of times. Yeah. You know, and considering the book is kind of famously difficult it's very daunting right? yeah. yeah the to especially to adapt mm-hmm. um in this way it's not really surprising that that's what that film was like yeah yeah it, and also weird because literally like i feel like it's all talk that movie is just endless talking right and none of it makes any sense so the book is like that too in a lot of ways it's a lot of exposition mm when you read it you think this would be really hard to adapt Mm -hmm. and ground and the David Lynch version doesn't really ground this story it's kind of just weird becoming weirder Mm -hmm. uh, where to me Denis Villeneuve really grounded this story in a lot of ways and I wanted to read this before so I could go in and just be fully immersed and already kind of know what was going on. So I'm interested what you guys thought of it, just ha- not mm-hmm. having that prior knowledge. But Denis Villeneuve, like he has loved this book since he was 14. Right. And he has such a deep respect for this book. And he wanted to make a movie that if Frank Herbert watched mm. the film, he would feel the deep respect that he had for mm. the story. Oh, well, I, I think it's that. safe to say that this film would completely blow Frank <laughs> yeah. Herbert's mind open. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. that it took this long for mm-hmm. a film to mm-hmm. be for us to have the capability to make a film right. that lives up to what this text was. Right. Mm-hmm. Well and and Denis Villeneuve talks about how he made, you know, Arrival and he made Blade Runner to prepare himself to make this film. Mm. One of the reasons why he made these films. So yeah, I went into this knowing absolutely nothing about Dune other than the fact that it was sci-fi. And I have to say that I was a little worried because sometimes sci-fi does not hook me because it's too abstract. Yeah. Or it doesn't have enough that I can relate to or enough humanity that I feel like I can latch onto. And that was not a problem for me at all. Did you find the story convoluted in this or was it pretty clear what was happening? It was clear in a broad sense. Mm -hmm. The more detailed stuff, like all the different houses and the different families and all of that was a little hard for me to follow. And that's typical for me, like... I struggle with that kind of stuff. Like I couldn't read Lord of the Rings because I just couldn't keep track of who everybody was. Yeah. Kind of how I felt about Game of Thrones. Like those big ideas with all these, like the massive world building that goes into it Mm -hmm. gets lost on me sometimes because it just doesn't stick. So the, the, some of the details in this, I was, I was a bit lost on, but it, didn't actually bother me all that much because there's so much humanity in this movie that I was able to click in with mm-hmm. that resonated with me. And I, it, it really worked for me. I really liked it. Yeah. So for me, I didn't read the book. Mm-hmm. I have seen that 84, that 1984 film. I didn't understand anything about it because right. that's what it is. <laughs> so I kind of went into this without really knowing what the story was all that much about mm-hmm. as well. I am kind of the opposite of you, Helen. Oh, okay. I, I love the massive world building and yeah, I, right. it, my, it all sticks to me and I'm like oh my god I, all of those details kind of give me my movie boner yeah um, my brain is just like a, a strainer and it just all goes right out <laughs> like it does not stay so I felt like this film was actually really clear mm-hmm. and I understood exactly what everyone's motivations were mm-hmm. and what the stakes were I thought it was really effective at setting it up because mm-hmm. at the beginning you think like oh the Atreides family are getting this thing and they're you see Oscar Isaac's character, the father and mm-hmm. the mother, Rebecca Ferguson's character being mm-hmm. like, no, this is very serious. You don't understand. Right. But we understand. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was excellent. 
Yeah. So there's a whole plot in the book about how Dr. Yu is going to betray mm. the Duke mm-hmm. and you go into all his motivation for it and then you go into the Duke knowing about the plan within the plan within the plan within the plan. Oh, they like cut all of that out and just made it that the Duke is betrayed. Mm. They cut out like all the exposition of it, which I thought was really great because mm. that becomes very tedious yeah. in yeah. the book. It makes sense. I feel like the story is better served by ha- having it like that. Yeah. And he managed to cut out a lot of that exposition and just use visual storytelling and specific camera shots and symbolism mm. and world building to actually portray that instead of being so heavy handed mm-hmm. in telling us we see these things through the imagery so this is very clearly like and has always been discussed as having a like a messiah theme mm-hmm. right that is paul atreides is like a christ character type yeah. of a thing right this connection he's you know in this film we have an understanding that he's They've, he's essentially the result of some very deliberate crossbreeding right. of people yep. to try and eventually get to a point where somebody has this capability. Mm-hmm. I like that he carries the weight of that and struggles with it, right? There's mm-hmm. that theme of somebody who is doesn't want to be a hero, is not desiring to be a hero, but has to heed the call. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole symbol of the House of Atreides, but it's mm-hmm. also the Christ symbol. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. There is a lot of female energy right. going on in this film that yeah. is not in the book at all. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, interesting. In the book, Dune feels like a father-son story, but this huh. movie made it feel like a mother-son oh, story. Oh, Big time, yeah. yeah. Which is so interesting. He put a lot of female energy in this because there's the Bene Gesserit, which are basically the sisterhood of space witches. Yeah, so bad. <laughs> Love it. And Charlotte Rampling as the leader, yeah. come on. Yeah. So into that. And they're so enchanting and they're really powerful and they're basically like puppet masters that are shaping this universe. They also made a male character, Kine, the planetologist, mm-hmm. who's a male in the book. They made a female mm. in in this movie. I, I thought that was amazing. It was such a great change. Sharon Duncan Brewster, she was incredible and she had such a powerful moment oh, yeah. in there when yeah. she pounds on the the sand yeah. and she's kind of controlling the desert and she just goes out in a blaze of glory it just had such great feminine energy that was added to this and a lot in the book is a bit outdated and it can okay and it shows the sexism of the time right. and this film version just got rid of all of that i love that Ooh. and not in any type of on your nose way. Not that at all. It didn't feel like, like that. Like think about that, you know, one of those last scenes in Endgame where all of the female characters are all running up mm-hmm. together. Like that is actually super cool. Yeah. I love that too. But it was uh, subtle. It wasn't right. heavy handed exactly. at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't get that sense, but I also didn't get the sense of like, this is such a male movie. Right. Which mm-hmm. I didn't realize until now, until you just said that. In terms of story too, I loved how they showed us the Baron. Oh, mm-hmm. God. He stayed I, very mysterious. Yeah. Yes. He, in the dark, in the shadows. And it's like, you. I can't wait until part two to see mm. more of him in the actual movie. I yes. thought he looked incredible. Me and too. there's a part where it's, you know, him in his lair, I yeah. guess, with his uh, minions. And they're speaking. And once again, they're speaking with this didgeridoo effect. Mm-hmm. And I honestly almost fell out of my chair i was that that i thought that is so fucking cool yeah 
Yeah. Like to think of putting that effect over their voices, it just, I, I was in awe. Yeah. I was just in awe. <laughs> I did not know until afterwards when I came home to do notes that that was Stellan Skarsgård. Oh, yeah. really? I didn't know. Yeah. I had no idea who that was. Yeah, totally. And yeah, credit the to the, everything, his his uh, voice and the way he acted it, but also the makeup. Yeah. Because I, I didn't recognize him at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in the book, he basically, uh, once again, a character with a ton, a ton to say, a ton mm. of exposition, and he barely said anything in this yeah. movie. Well, and, and you get best, it. For yeah. the best. He needed to. I think that was really smart storytelling because even mm. when you think about the 1984 film, like that character is so grotesque that it can very easily morph Become into cheesy. caricature and cheesy, yes. right? Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so with this one, it's less is more. Yes. Right? Yeah. Even the moments where he actually like is levitating and doing that actually mm. wasn't campy. It was terrifying no. and really threatening. I know. Um. So I thought that was really smart. One of the themes that stuck out to me was, I guess, like the wealth divide. Yeah. And I saw the the Fremen people as sort of like civilians mm-hmm. and Atreides and some of the other big houses to be kind of like royalty or like the 1%. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and when they come down and finally like associate and discover the Fremen, it was like, oh, look how inventive and resourceful these people are. Like they're so much smarter than you and you think you have all the power and all the resources, but they know what the fuck's going on. But that's, see, that's a great example why Denis Villeneuve is a genius filmmaker Mm. because in the book, it is actually the princess who is the emperor's daughter Uh that narrates the story, but he flipped it in this movie and made it Zendaya's character who is a Fremen narrating the story from... It her, opens perspective. From her perspective so they've just flipped the the power you yeah. we're not seeing the perspective from the wealth we're seeing it from from the fremen who are the people of of dune yeah. right yeah it's very it's especially timely you know with conversations about indigenous yeah. populations mm-hmm. and land acknowledgements right understanding trying to give space to that mm-hmm. culture where we just came over and you know colonized and did all of that that's very much a part of this conversation too. Well, in the Fremen in this film, they're just, they're actually seen as quite powerful. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. They appear to be completely powerful. They have control over the sandworms yeah. essentially. And they yes. have, you know, quote desert power. Uh, yeah. Um, they're they, an amazing group. They have group. way a much huge number, huger number than anyone knows as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, the yeah. Harkonnens thought there was maybe five or 10,000 of them. And then Jason Momoa's character, Duncan, when he was after he did his recon and got to know them all and had s- such huge respect for them, said actually it's over a hundred thousand. Yeah, it's huge. So they've been able to hide and keep their numbers and their you know their existence pretty much like th- their power under wraps. Yeah, yeah. With it, this being like a very famously kind of challenging text to mm-hmm. adapt, right? We've had that that film. There was this miniseries in two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, people always said it could never be done. Right. What do you guys think? Like ultimately in terms of storytelling, do you feel like it was successful? I think this is an incredible feat. Yeah. Like I'm, I am blown away at the, at how he's able to show grand stories and grand um, scapes and worlds. Like it, it's incredible. Yeah. I think he did a great job. Yeah. Are you obsessed with this film? Sinclair? I'm utterly <laughs> obsessed with this film. Like I yeah. can't wait to see it again. Yeah. And, 
I mean, I sing this man's praises all the time. Yeah. I think he's a genius filmmaker. He's the one of the just the biggest visionaries right now. And he just this is his magnum opus. Like mm. it's like just it's perfection. Yeah, okay. Mm. I love that. I just mm. needed to get that yeah, off yeah. our chest <laughs> to establish that we all are totally. in love. And then speaking of in love, mm. let's get to performances. Yeah. yeah. There are so many sexy men in this movie. I know. Like, I was like, couldn't decide who I loved the most. Yes, like Dave Batista. I wasn't into him, no. Is that a joke? That's a joke, okay, Tommy. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, Timmy's incredible. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet, I'm I'm sorry, is a movie star. He is, yes. He is a movie star. We've known this for years. We yeah. have known it for years. <laughs> Everyone is knowing it, but uh-huh. this is his moment. Like, yeah. I think we called it before. We said, watch out for Dune. This is what takes mm. Timothy Chalamet from being like the internet sweetheart, like right. people who love movies sweetheart, to everyone's grandmother's aunts like global massive sensation yeah and this is gonna do it he's perfectly cast yeah this movie has such a meta quality with his career right now as well Mm. because you know in real life he's he was this kid that is you know becoming a movie star and in dune mm-hmm. you know it's a boy becoming powerful mm-hmm. yeah. and timmy is essentially becoming the king of hollywood yeah he's yeah. the chosen one yeah, yeah so actually. it's this really cool meta thing that's happening he's wonderful in this he's such an emotional actor and yeah. and perfect for this especially with the pain box if yeah. anyone oh, were to God. do that scene justice it's him as soon as i you know he enters the room and he, you know, he has to put his hand in that box. I'm like, this is going to be an amazing moment mm-hmm. in this film. What I absolutely love about his performance more than anything else actually ties back to exactly what you were saying about feminine energy. Mm. Yeah. he. There is not an ounce of masculine bravado to, yeah. to Timothy Chalamet at yeah. all. He is an, an emotional actor, completely yeah. like you just said. He wears it on his sleeve. He's not afraid to be vulnerable and emotional and to have it all out there whether it's anger or relief or joy or sadness or whatever there's no front there's Mm. he's not trying to put up this like macho thing at all and i think so many other lead actors Mm. playing the hero of a 165 million (laughs) dollar you know global sci-fi film would Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know it makes me want to cry. I'm like tearing up over here. <laughs> I know, I know why, but like you love him. Cause, that, but I, it's also that like he, yeah, there's no ego there. None. And it it's so beautiful, and this like petulant teenager at times, and then also this really wise young man, and he can do both, and he can do mm-hmm. both so convincingly. It's like well, I sent you guys that text that. <laughs> I was living for Moody Goth Space Timmy. Oh my yeah. God, of course. Like in that long black trench oh, yeah. coat, yes. I was dying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What this character is doing is presenting an image of what modern masculinity can look like. Mm. That it's it's okay to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. to be complex. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And to really showcase the value of the masculine and the feminine qualities both exactly yeah like that's just that's incredible yeah zendaya you don't see a lot of her in this film i'm sure she'll be in in part two a lot more but and announcement just in case y'all didn't see (laughs) the news it has been officially announced today that um part two is happening yeah god but at the same time um her voice is anchoring the film. Right. 
and her image is guiding the film yeah as well a lot of it is being told through the image of her which i thought was really interesting she has a really strong presence Mm -hmm. when she's being kind of ethereal and like walking on the sand and it's those slow shots of her like slowly turning around and looking kind of sensual it's mm-hmm. she's beautiful then there's that scene right at the end after timmy has that moment of combat when it's another kind of slow shot of her kind of stepping off the rock and she has this totally other expression on her face that's well she's some... quite rough yeah mm-hmm. it's she's a mixture not the of dream, like no dream she's not yeah. it's like strong and inquisitive and curious and like yeah tough Mm-hmm. And I just think, I love that she's able to kind of actually give us a full character with very minimal, mm-hmm. like she only had about three lines in the whole film that yeah. were the characters, not voiceover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's cool because if, let's say if, you know, she's going to be the female lead and Timmy is the male lead, but they are exuding the opposite qualities, right? Like she's exuding very masculine qualities in her character. He's exuding feminine qualities. Like it's it's playing with that idea so much. And those two actors are both very equipped Yes. For those performances. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. I love her. Mm-hmm. Tanta always makes fun of me, actually. He's always like, your favorite, Rebecca Ferguson. Because I was <laughs> obsessed with her from when she was in one of the Mission Impossible movies. Right. Oh, okay. And I just, just like, God, she's so good in this. Like, she's the lead. She's the female lead yeah. in this film, for yeah. sure. And she has a lot of screen time. Yeah. And she makes the most of it. She's mm. fantastic. Yes. Yeah. She can go from being like so like that moment when he yells at her in the tent and she's mm. broken and you just see her being so broken to think about her in the aircraft when she is like kill yourself yeah. to, with that voice to them and you're like wow this woman is dangerous. Yes. Yeah. So good. She made that character so much more interesting for mm. me. <laughs> yeah. Is that character kind of one note in the book? I mean it's a, a pretty decent character but actually seeing an actress showing these different sides and having her intensity in her face and her also her vulnerability Mm. i just yeah i couldn't keep my eyes off of her i thought she was just so cool (laughs) me too yeah i really only know her from what was the space movie she did Life. Life. life okay i she did not leave an impression on me in that movie and in this movie i was like oh my god i i thought she was so captivating um, and yeah, playing with the vulnerability, the strength. And then we, I I thought I saw a little glimmer of evil at the end. Mm. Well, I was also getting like weird incestuous vibes yes, at like certain the points. I don't know watches, of anybody else. When she watches Timmy take off his shirt. There's, no, there's I, a, something is happening in that no, moment. No, but you know, I know what, what I think is. is happening in that moment was just the, uh, that was to me, this is how I read it was like oh now I, it's no longer like mother and child now we're just you're just a man comrades yeah, yeah you're a man yeah. and i'm a woman and now we have to go off and battle right. this thing together right. well, so let's turn our backs and not be you know not see each other naked let's hope let's hope right. that's it because i haven't read the last half of the yeah. book so hopefully it, it oh, does God, go I hope not. don't say anything <laughs> oh geez i will yeah. say that the, the casting in general was absolutely spot on mm-hmm. in this for me dave batista is super threatening mm-hmm. as that beast harkonnen character yeah. right he just has that and jason momoa was perfect for duncan he was so good i really loved him in this yeah yeah he's really lovable yeah. and dead sexy he's so hot <laughs> and you can see how much fun and how thrilled he is to be a part of this mm-hmm. right you can totally see that and 
also Javier Bardem's character mm. has only a couple of little lines, but you needed an actor with that level of gravitas yes. to play that character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we have to know that this man, despite only having really one or two scenes in the film, yeah. is that powerful. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he, as an actor, can convey that in one line. Right. And I thought that was really brilliant casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it builds intrigue for the second part, too, because we want to see more of these yeah. characters. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, technical. There's a lot of technical stuff in this film to oh. marvel at, <laughs> I would say. Yeah. I, I'll start with talking about Greg Fraser, the cinematographer. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he's a cinematographer on this film, right? The DP. I think we'll all agree. Like, I thought he what he did was extraordinary. Yes. Definitely going to be nominated for an Oscar for this. Mm. And it, I was looking him up because I was like, okay, yeah, let me find out more of what this guy's done, right? And it totally makes sense why he's a DP on this because he did The Mandalorian. Mm. He did Rogue One, Star okay. Wars story. So, you know, he's adept at creating these visuals and set it, that have the scale necessary right. to capture this. The, like, enormity of the, yes. the things in this. Yes. Those ships are, like, the size of planets. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God. The, yeah how grandiose this movie is <laughs> i walked out i saw this in like downtown toronto and i walked out of the theater afterwards and i walked around and i looked up at the giant buildings and i felt like i was in dune and i was like <laughs> looking at these huge buildings and thinking like that is you know a spaceship that's a sand dune that's a rock formation whatever <laughs> yes. but it like really made me feel that and you see it in other Denis movies like in Arrival and mm-hmm. even Enemy like think of the giant spider oh like, yeah absolutely he has that imagery he's able to conceptualize that I think in his own mind and actually make it look real on film yeah mm-hmm. And one of the things that I discovered in researching this is that they use instead of using a green screen they used a brown screen which actually creates a more realistic look because so much of the CGI stuff in here didn't look fake to me no it yeah. was uh, it was one of the most seamless. Yeah, it was incredible. Really difficult to tell which bits were CGI, what was practical effects. It was really incredible and impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, it was such a homage to Denis Villeneuve's filmography. seriously. For me. Like, yeah, you you see Arrival. There's the symmetry of Sicario Mm. in there. There were moments with light and shadow where it looked like, moments in prisoners mm-hmm. yeah yeah it was it was amazing to see like a cinematographer represent somebody's body of work so well mm. there was a lot of the last temptation of christ in this that was a movie mm-hmm. visually that was a huge influence that i recently watched like two <laughs> months ago yeah which is why you in our last <laughs> episode i got the <laughs> the jesus answer yeah but <laughs> There's these psychedelic and meditative visual moments in this film that were like absolutely breathtaking. Like you just feel like you're you're just lifted away. Yeah. We have to talk about the worms. Yeah. You know, it's real easy <laughs> when you say giant worms, people are going to be like, ooh, tremors. And you just get right. this campy, yeah, yeah, yeah. ridiculous image of, you know, Reba McIntyre with an elephant gun. But <laughs> this, the worms in this are terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And totally believable yes yeah well and they also they aren't seen mm-hmm. as much as yep. you think that they're going mm-hmm. to be which i thought was just genius yes. like mm-hmm. there are shots when you just see the mouth opening up right. and the, the they looked like whale like yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. 
I, I, I'm dead. I'm dead. <laughs> yeah, less no, is more, except in those moments when more needs to be more in this film, and it's yeah. just such per- so perfectly balanced. Yeah. yeah, and how they there's that shot of the Baron coming out of the mud bath, like oh how he God. shot the Baron in shadows. It looked like Apocalypse Now. Yes, it looked like that Marlon was Brando, out of that, which is sure. one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Once wow. again, dead. I'm dead. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, well, the the worms, they um, the sandworms, they talk. I, I I was reading about how they wanted to make the sand mimic water, which it totally, yeah, does. It totally does. You yeah. feel like the waves of yeah. the sand. Yeah, and how and water is so scarce on that planet. It is right. such a sacred yeah. thing to ha- yeah. Um, and how they how Denis really wanted the soundscape not to be studio sounds so they actually went out like documentary style and recorded sand in the desert love that and it it, but it's just so visceral this movie is so visceral this is what you can do when you've got a visionary filmmaker and a fuck ton of money yeah exactly you know what i mean to work with yeah um yeah i really really loved the score for the score this was like its own character it was fucking amazing and it didn't feel like a Hans Zimmer score really true in a lot of ways um well he he has a quote saying he was obsessed with creating music from another world and from another Mm -hmm. time and like you have to in this one incorporate the the feel of the desert and also the feeling of prophecy Mm -hmm. and honor and also the feminine power in this as well so there's music that has chants in it and whispers and loved that yeah, and apparently he actually like went out to the desert and became like obsessed with the desert and just like sat there and listened to the sounds of the mm. wind and everything and like disappeared for days to Man, that's com- so cool. compose this. Yeah, it's a, what like that's your life. And okay. there were also bagpipes. I know. Yes. Uh, that, and, but that's Which thing. is never that's never used in a movie like yeah. this. Yeah, I thought it was so unique. Yeah, but bagpipes have the, the most raw resonant sound. And family pride. And so family pride. Totally. Tra- House of Atreides like they come out of this the ship and there's like bagpipes there. I was like that is like just so unique. Every <laughs> single hair on my arm stood up with the bagpipe sound. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. so powerful. Well, because it also has that humming underneath yes, it, Yes, right? exactly. That's it. Yeah, it's like that heartbeat almost that's like constantly yeah. there. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think just with regards to sound, so much of this is just tying around to sound, right? Yeah, yeah. This, the sound production on this oh, man. was the best that I've heard in I don't even know. It was absolutely incredible astonishing mm-hmm. in every single scene and every moment think about the variety of sounds and the yeah. variety of ways that they use sound from the different voices like you're saying with the didgeridoo right. thing to the like witch talk yeah. to all of it right to the sounds of the the desert and the wind and the worms it was really breathtaking <sighs> such an achievement yeah and costumes were amazing too costumes are yeah. decoration need to shout out the mother reverend uh, Charlotte Rampling with that black mm-hmm. veil oh, yeah. covering oh her God. face in the shadows. Like she looked like an ancient space nun. Yeah. This movie <laughs> or, totally. or, or like ghoul. Or yeah. ghoul. This movie was so goth aesthetic. Mm. I dead once again. Still yeah. boner. Still boner. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So what is the last word on Dune? Um, yeah, last word for me. I thought this movie was incredible. I can't wait to see it again. And I think something that keeps coming up in my mind is everything feels deliberate 
in this movie. Mm. There is nothing arbitrary, and I appreciate that so much. And yeah, looking forward to watching it again and watching the next film. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Last word for me is that I went into this film with really sky high expectations. I was trying my best yeah. prior to going to like temper, temper. those expectations, yeah. um, but it just hit it and more. I thought that for a movie of this budget and this scale, it still was able to be kind of character driven and mm. almost meditative at times. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. I thought that it was meticulous. Every single detail was perfect. The performances were incredible. And yeah, already Dune 2 is my most anticipated film of 2023. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Last word for me, somebody needs to check my pulse because <laughs> I don't even know if I'm alive at this point. My body could still be in the theater seat and this could just be my spirit sitting here talking about this <laughs> film. I haven't recovered yet. This is beautiful. This is haunting. It's euphoric. It's philosophical. And it's just fucking cool, honestly. This is a sexy sexy space opera yeah go see this yeah right now it's time this week we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme the theme this episode is spice up your life <laughs> this is our week in entertainment colors of the world <laughs> yeah. every boy never go people of the world so for the theme this week i decided to take a bit of creative liberty here and really do spice up your afterlife oh mm. so my film is from 2017 and it is the Mummy, starring Tom Cruise, oh. <laughs> alongside Annabelle Wallace, Russell Crowe, and Sophia Butella. I chose this because the process of mummification is an ancient Egyptian burial ritual mm. that involved removing all of the internal organs of a cadaver and then washing it out with a variety of spices. Mm. Okay, wow. Yes, meant to preserve the body and spice it up for the afterlife. Ooh. Um, also, I had never seen this film. <laughs> Or I thought that I had never seen this film. Oh. And then the entire time I was watching it, I remained confused as to whether or not I had actually seen it before. And I still can't tell you with certainty whether or not I've seen it. So (laughs) not exactly memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right. Have either of you seen this movie? No. No, but I I really liked the trailer and I got excited for this. And then I heard that it was really bad. So I never watched it. Exactly the same as me, I think, unless I did. Yeah, the movie's bad. I know. I knew that it was bad. I heard it was bad, but I thought that surely it can't be that bad. Mm. Um, but no, I was wrong. I was quite wrong. Oh, no. Um, wow. The thing is, is that it actually started out kind of strong. Like, Russell Crowe was in this, which I didn't know. Mm. Um, and he's an archaeologist giving the backstory of Princess Amanet, and that's Sophia Batella, who is actually a totally captivating screen presence like she was also great in atomic blonde if, if we recall oh right this was the the strongest sequence in the whole movie okay and it just was all downhill mm, from there that's unfortunate oh yeah um tom cruise plays tom cruise um you know he's just like american military guy in iraq yeah. and then there's this absurd sequence where he and this other soldier are being chased by like about 300 iraqis with ak-47 shooting at them and then they call in like an airstrike and it blows up the ground and then they fall into a hole and they land in her tomb. Okay, whatever. Mm. So, the reason why this film is bad is mm. I have to say, 
I, I feel like it comes down to the director in a lot mm. of ways. Alex Kurtzman directed, and he hadn't really done much before. This is only his second feature film, and uh, he's an executive producer who's got a whole ton of credits, but I'm curious as to how he kind of got the part. Yeah, seriously. Mm. Yeah, for a big Tom Cruise yeah. like film like this and there were a lot of um clashes behind the scenes he even talks about afterwards how this was not the film that he wanted to make and you know his vision he has to trust his instincts next time and if he can't Mm. tell the story that he wants to tell blah 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 whatever but it's just bad for a film of this scale and this budget it should at least give me really strong action right you know what i mean yeah and all of it was really muddled and Mm. just generic like there was so much of Tom Cruise running through a building as, like, all of the glass exploded. Mm. Like, there were at least four different scenes of that. God, I would hate this movie. You would absolutely hate this <laughs> yeah. movie so much. I don't think much. I would finish it. <laughs> it. But in terms of The Mummy, was it... Were they trying to capitalize off the Brendan Fraser? Or was it, like, a throwback to, like, the, you know, classic movie monster? Tot- yeah, totally unrelated to the Brandon Fraser films in that whole mm. universe. So yeah. basically when this was announced, this movie was meant to be the first of like a franchise starring Tom Cruise. And it was also going to be part of this idea of a dark universe. Okay. Right? Okay. Where they were going to try and build like an MCU, but for ghost oh, stories. Oh, wow. Right? And so like Russell Crowe's character is actually Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. Oh, okay. really? So they're trying yes. to do classic They're trying to expand monsters. on classic movie monsters yeah. and create this whole quote unquote dark universe. That's a cool idea. It is. And it I, it should have been really exciting. Yeah. And I'm totally here for all of that. But it was just so, so poorly executed that the whole thing got scrapped. It still made like $400 million worldwide because mm-hmm. it's Tom Cruise yeah. and he is still genuinely unstoppable as a movie star. But yeah, th- there's no sequel happening. <laughs> and it's it's just really ba- like bad. Mm. It's just really bad. Um, yeah, so The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. No one's going to watch it that. It didn't spice up your life. It did not spice yeah. up my it life. It dulled anyway. your life. It, it, it dulled did. Your life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, there were some spices in the gin that I was drinking, which was the only thing that got me through it. Mm. Right. (laughs) I mean, I guess we learned a fun fact about mummies. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes. Mummification that I didn't know. And they wouldn't, they would leave the, so they would remove all of the internal organs and clear everything out with the spices and then replace the heart back inside. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Before wrapping it all up. Okay. So, you know what? I feel like you learned something really interesting in the end. That's true. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you, okay. the mummy. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> Helen. Okay, guys. Listen, I had a hard time picking a movie for this segment. I, I just felt like there was a lot well, of you like spiciness. I, like spicy I do. Things. I do. Um, but I wasn't quite sure how to interpret the theme. What route do I go down? Mm-hmm. Um, I also was eager to find something that was accessible. So I just started to scour the streaming services that I uh, subscribe to. And I came across a film that I've never heard of. I probably would never have watched otherwise. And I just thought, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna happen. So I watched a film from 1987. It's a Danish film uh, directed by Gabriel Axel, starring Stefan Audran, Bodil Kia, and Birgit <laughs> Federspiel. I probably butchered all of that. I think um, you got starring correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, this movie's called Babette's Feast. Oh. Have we heard of this? Is this based I've on a play? Uh, no. It's based, it's based off of a story, though. 
Okay, I, I feel like I have heard of it, but I thought it was a yeah a play. Well, it, it did win Best Foreign Film at the 1987 Oscars. Oh, okay, wow, so that cool. might that might be part of it. Here is the description, courtesy of IMDb. During the late 19th century, a strict religious community in a Danish village takes in a French refugee from the Franco-Prussian War as a servant to the late pastor's daughters. So this is based off of a story by Karen Blixen, who is most well known for her memoir, Out of Africa. So yes, this is these two beautiful daughters who are the daughters of this pastor in this village that is the most devout, strict religious existence I've ever seen. It's so boring. Um, (laughs) they really need some spice in their life and they do get it eventually Um, they have some suitors that come to the town that are very interested in them but alas they are devoted to God and to their father this this village is so strict that like they're not allowed to like have pleasure from anything that's not religion Um, yeah it's like it's so bleak but at the same time there's something very playful about it like, it almost, like, feels a little bit like a fairy tale parts of it. So, yes, they take in this French refugee who uh, becomes their cook, essentially. And she starts to spice up their life. She... With the cooking? With the cooking. Yeah, so she... You find out later on that she was once, a, like, a renowned chef of a very... Uh, High esteem. Yes, like an incredible restaurant in Paris. And so she starts, you know, cooking with different ingredients and and making the food a lot more flavorful Mm. bunch of stuff happens over time she discovers that she wins the lottery in france she has ten thousand francs she doesn't have to do this job anymore so at the same time the daughters whose father has now passed away the pastor of this village they are going to celebrate what would be his hundredth birthday so uh babette who is the refugee says i'm going i would like to cook you a feast and they're like, oh, God, no, 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 you can't do that. It's ostentatious, no. And she's like, have I ever asked you for anything? No, I'm cooking you a feast. And they're like, okay, fine. But then, and so she brings in all of these ingredients from France. And the sisters start to get very worried because it seems very extravagant. It does not fit into their lifestyle. At the same time, the people in this village that follow this religion are starting to quarrel with each other. And the sisters are like, what's going on here we're not following the you know what what we stand for right when they discover that she's going to make some extravagant meal that they're not okay with they tell everybody don't enjoy it like don't say anything about the food or drink you can't you can't acknowledge it it's just you won't derive pleasure from it babette makes a seven course elaborate exquisite meal that she used to make in her french restaurant in paris and that is the absolute best part of this film. I think it is why this film became what it was. This film made me so horny for food. <laughs> um, so you're watching her make it. And then there's like the person that's bringing the food out for her. There's one guest who's there that isn't a villager. So he's expressing his like amazement mm. over the food. Because he doesn't understand. There's this pact of like we're not supposed to enjoy this. He must think they're all crazy. He must yeah. Think, How are you not yeah. weeping at this? But so what they do instead of like expressing their love for the food is they start like reciting like religious passages. <laughs> oh my to, God, like, amazing. Take place of them saying that they love the food. And then by the end of it, they're all drunk and they just like make up with each other and they're everybody's happy yeah. and everybody's good. And I'm like, all you need in life is fucking a good meal and some good drinks and everything will get solved. Yeah. Everything will be resolved. There um, is such good like bonding time. Too. Yeah, seriously. Yes. Totally. 
totally. And it really made me like just appreciate great food and drink and great company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially, you know, coming out of COVID and being like, this wasn't something that we really did for the last year and a half. Seriously, yeah. very true. And all I could do then was look up French restaurants in Toronto because I feel like I need to go have like an elaborate seven course French meal. Yes. Do you have 600 dirla? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's it a great question. Oh, yeah. Merci, anyway. Babette. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, this movie was actually so enjoyable. I really, really loved it. Like I said, it won Best Foreign Film at the 1987 Oscars. And I never would have watched it if it weren't for this segment. So yeah, I do. Yeah. I am actually really grateful for that because it was a really unique gem of a film. Um, it is on... Amazon Prime in the Hollywood Suite section. So that's that, really that's cool. Where I saw yeah. Fun. Yeah. Discoveries. Discoveries, yeah. Sinclair. I watched Some Like It Hot. Oh. From 1959. Okay. I had never seen this film before. Uh-huh. I love how we all had different interpretations of this theme. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought Sinclair was for sure going to find some twisted s and Twisted erotic. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I did I look for something like that. And anyway. This is directed by Billy Wilder, who has directed one of my favorite movies, which is Sunset Boulevard. Mm. And I've been wanting to go through more of his films, and I had never seen this one. Mm -hmm. And it's starring Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis, and the iconic Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Some Like It Hot is about two musicians, Joe and Jerry, living in Chicago during the Prohibition era. They actually witness this event that's supposed to be the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So in order to escape these mobsters, they disguise themselves as women and they head to Florida with this all-girls group who all happen to be blondes. There they meet Sugar, played by Marilyn Monroe. And so they're keeping up this, this ruse that they're women. But of course, they both fall for Sugar. Of course. Because obviously... When they reach Florida, Sugar says that she wants to marry a millionaire. Hmm. So Tony Curtis Don't we all? then decides to disguise himself also as a millionaire. <laughs> so he's disguised as a woman in this band, and then he's also disguised as a millionaire. Hmm. And he tries to win her with, with this disguise. So there's a lot of tomfoolery going okay, on. Yes. Yes. But really the central idea is that Jack Lemmon and uh, Tony Curtis are in this band disguised as women. So I had not seen this film before, and when I first read the premise, I thought, oh, God, this is going to be just so sexist and problematic in 2021, because this is 1959, and I was worried. (laughs) So it's also two men dressing up as women, and I just thought this is going to be so outdated. Well, I was wrong. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen it. I saw I watched it like 3 years ago. <laughs> this ended up being so much more charming <laughs> and progressive really? than I ever thought it could be. And hilarious. And hilarious. It's it's wonderful. It does have moments of, you know, things are said and you're like, "Oh, I don't think you could say that now," right. obviously, but overall, this is actually really sweet and endearing and it honestly pushed the envelope in a good way. <laughs> This was 1959, so they had this thing called the Hayes Code. And the Hayes Code was this set of rules that films needed to abide by. You remember back then, men and women couldn't be shown in the same bed on screen. Mm. There was no swearing. There was no 
violence. So it was like this moral Hollywood code that these films needed to Hmm. follow. In this film, Billy Wilder just decided to say, fuck this code. (laughs) Marilyn Monroe is in it, who's incredibly sexy. I mean, she just oozes sex. Yeah. All the time, whenever she's on screen. She's completely uninhibited in this. She drinks. She knows exactly what she wants when it comes to men. She wants Mm. to marry a millionaire. Yeah. That's what she wants. She's going to go after one. She's going to use her sexuality to do it. Whatever. Homophobia was also, you know, so high at, mm. at this time. And you have two men dressing up as, as women. And so was this considered like a controversial film? Yeah. Okay. So this was controversial, even though a lot of people loved it. But this was really controversial huh. at the time because of all these things. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Also, the the costumes are incredible in this. Mm. Um you know, you have these two actors that are dressing up like women and like really reveling in it mm. and loving it mm. and being completely comfortable in it. Oh, yeah. Going for it. Really oh, going okay. for it, having so much fun. And Jack Lemon and Tony Curtis, they wanted dresses that matched Marilyn Monroe. They like they did hmm. not want to have dresses that were less than her. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and you really see it in the film. Their dresses are great, but nothing nothing compares Hmm. to her dress in this film. I want you to look it up right now. It is like sheer on top. It's like nylon. It doesn't look like she's wearing a bra. And then the bottom is like sequins. And she has a white version and a black version that she wears in the film. And it's the most jaw-dropping dress on the most beautiful woman I've just ever seen. Oh, yes, this one. Yeah, and, you know, she has this moment where she's in this beautiful dress and she's singing like I want to be loved by you just you and nobody Mm. else but you and it's you know she has such a shtick about her but it's also at the same time it's so endearing and it's so watchable Mm. Jack Lemmon is freaking hilarious in this his facial expressions uh, he just really goes for it he's hilarious yeah I just I I watched this and I felt Billy Wilder he really he went against the grain Mm. and he stuck it to Hollywood in in a lot Mm. of ways with this film and he does with his films like even Sunset Boulevard is a bit of a cynical take on Hollywood Hollywood. and a bit (laughs) yeah yeah uh, this also has a really iconic ending and I was so surprised by the ending of this film. It's so wonderful. Jack Lemmon's character throughout the film is being wooed by an actual millionaire, hmm. um, Osgood Fielding III. And Osgood thinks that Jack Lemmon's character is a woman. Hmm. He has proposed marriage to Jack Lemmon and they're riding in the boat at the end and Osgood is trying to get him to marry him. And they're going back and forth. And Jack Lemon is saying, you can't marry me. You know, I'm not a natu- natural blonde. And, Os- <laughs> and Osgood goes, doesn't matter. And he's like, I smoke. And Osgood goes, Does- I don't care. And he, he goes, I can't have children. Mm-hmm. And Osgood says, we can adopt some. And then Jack Lemon says, I'm a man. In his man voice. And and his man voice. And at that moment, I had like a cringe moment Mm. where I felt like, oh, this is where like there's going to be a disgust reaction that we are actually used to seeing in film when this happened. And Osgood just says, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah. And then the film just ends. Oh my God, I love that so much. And my jaw just dropped. I was like, that's the ending of this film. It, It 
it ends on that like progressive moment. I know. Whoa, that's really cool. Um, so this was just so much more endearing and charming than I thought it was going to be. It was such a pleasant surprise mm. to see this. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and that dress, that was that was spicy. I wanna be loved by you. The diddly 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 dum. Boop boop doop. Well, guys, there's only one way to end this episode, and that's by playing a fun little game I like to call Home Spice. Home, home Spice? Spi- oh, like Home Slice? <laughs> okay, all right. So we're going to play a modified version of De Niro. You know the game where oh. one person says an actor and the other has to say a movie that actor yes. starred in. And then another person has to say a different actor from that same movie. Yeah. Okay, so here's how Home Spice will work. I will say the name of a fictional world from a classic sci-fi film. And then one of you will have to name the movie in which this world featured. Then the other person has to name a character who called this world home in the film. And then back to the other person to name the actor who played that character. I will fail at this. Okay. But okay. Well, and but you can kind of guide this while we're going if we yes. forget what we're supposed okay. to do. Exactly. Okay. Each time you guess wrong or get stumped, you get a letter. Right. And the first person to get enough letters to spell out Dune first oh, loses. Oh, thank God it's only four letters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Could go okay. all night. <laughs> all right. So first up, and yes, I'll change who starts first each time. Okay, so okay. first up, Tatooine. Sinclair. Tatooine? Is the name is... of a world. Okay. Now you have to name the film in which Tatooine belongs. Tatooine? Hunger Games? No. Let oh, God, guys, this was the easy one. Oh, we are not going to do well. I'm not going to do well at this. Um, we did it. We did it recently. I know it because it's like really close. Um, <laughs> I can't think of it. Wow. Okay. What do I do? Do I just tell you? Yeah. Well, yeah, we both have a deal. Okay, wow. So Tatooine is from Star Wars. It's the home planet of the Skywalkers. Oh, no, oh, Edison, I would not have gotten no. that. Wrong audience here. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Vince isn't here. Okay, next up, the world of Pandora. Helen. Like Pandora's box? Edison, I'm not, this is not for me. Pandora. <laughs> you get a D. A U. A U. Oh, no. Sinclair? <laughs> Pandora. Think about it. No, I know. I actually do know this one. Like, I this is bugging me. Because this <laughs> is actually recent. Well, y'all know it. I know! Maybe a little hint. Do we want a hint? Okay, but if you give a hint, then I get to have another guess. Well, I didn't okay, I will well, give it, I'll no. give a hint, and then you No, can... give me a second. Oh, okay. okay. okay, okay. The planet of Pandora? Correct. It's, um... The hint is blue. The Expanse. The Expanse is a series. I know. <laughs> Pandora. No, this is this is oh, this is annoying. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, I I know this. Um, Blue. Oh, Avatar. Yes. <gasps> but it it was not your turn though. She got yeah, it first. Got it. Ooh. But that was still my turn. Well, you didn't get it. Hermione, know, she put like, up her hand on everything. I know, but I would like to finish my turn. Well, nice. <laughs> okay, so Sinclair, now it's on you to name a character who called the planet of Pandora, the world of Pandora in the film Avatar Home. The name of a character. Name of the character, not the actor? 
Zoe Zeldana. Which would be Helen's answer. Right. Once you name the character. This game is too hard. I don't oh, know no. her name. Neytiri. No. no. <laughs> you don't know that. Ah, okay. How about she says Zoe Zeldana and then I have to name another thing. And then a movie. Or no, no. It's your game. Whatever. It's okay. Okay. Next. This one might be easier. <laughs> okay. The okay, pl- wait. What's the score right now? Um, we both have Ds. You both okay. have a U as well. But we I both have D. I did get Avatar. I know, but Correct, that means you, you just also that means you just don't get a oh, okay. letter. All right, yeah. like there's so not. So we both have D. U. Correct. Yeah. It's just okay. basically the la- the one that sucks the least wins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which in this case, oof. Um, <laughs> all right. So the world is Vulcan. Oh, is this like a? Oh wait, whose turn is it? That's that's Star Trek. Oh, okay. Okay, and then to you, the character from Vulcan. Spock. Yes, an actor who played Spock. Zachary Quinto. (laughs) All right, y'all got it. (gasps) Oh, good. So what does that mean? We just just achieved that level? Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. All right, the the last one is coming to you first, Helen, and the world is Asgard. Asgard is, is is that Narnia? No. Mm. You got an N. Sinclair. That's Thor. Yes, and a character from Thor. <laughs> Thor. An actor. Chris Hemsworth. Yay! Yay! Okay, final score. Sinclair, DU. Helen, DUN. Sorry. Oh, so I lose. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I expected to lose, so that's okay. That wow. was hard. That was wow. so hard. That, wow. Because you know why that was hard? Because that was a game for you, not us. I yeah. Mean, you're so right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> I, I am quite excited that I Woo-hoo. did figure out Avatar. Actually, you know what? We I, actually did better than I thought we would, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be worse than that. There are some listeners screaming at their phones right now, I imagine. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple iTunes. Please become a Patreon member if you can or would like to. Patreon.com slash talkmovietome. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. But like for real, Tatooine? Tatooine. I actually forget already what it was. What is it? Wow. It's Star Wars, but Star- oh, okay, I know, no. no. Isn't that Edison? I no. already forgot. Wow. Sorry. Holy. <laughs>